If you have your Bibles, if you could take them out to Genesis chapter 3. If you don't have an outline, you could pick one there up right out the center doors at the ministry counter right there. It's a green sheet of paper this week's the color. Experience and victory. It was December 16th, 1944. It was the last German defense on the Western Front. It was a series of battles that started on December 16th and went through January 25th, 1945. Those series of battles were called the Battle of the Bulge. It started on December 16th, an isolated part of Belgium, uh, an 80-mile strip that involved a lot of small villages. One of the small villages that included was the village of Baston. And there was a group of American soldiers who were there who were isolated and completely surrounded by German battalions and artillery. The Germans outnumbered them five to one. And those Americans didn't have the winter clothing, the winter gear to fight the battle. Uh, they were almost out of ammunition. The leadership was not uh, present in the village and the town. They had little or no air support. Some say it was the worst winter they've ever saw, and, and there was a really bad fog, so they couldn't come in and drop supplies or any technical cover, anything like that. They were in a mess. And a few days later, on December 22nd, 1944, the German commander wrote to the U.S. commander of the encircled town of Bastogne, he wrote this. The fortune of war is changing. At the time, the U.S. forces here in and near Bastogne have been encircled by strong German armored units. More German units are on their way. There is only one possibility to save the encircled U.S. troops from total annihilation, and that is the honorable surrender of the encircled town. In order to think it over for a term of two hours, you will be granted, beginning the presentation of this note, if this proposal should be rejected, one German artillery corps and six heavy battalions are ready to annihilate USA troops in and near Bastogne. The order for the fire will be given immediately after this two-hour term has expired. All the serious civilian losses caused by this artillery fire will not correspond with the well-known American humanity, signed the German commander. Think about that. If you ever been in a situation like that where you had things that you felt so helpless and you couldn't do anything about it and there was no one around that could help you and you're there just in kind of gloom and despair all alone and what am I going to do now what am I going to do that had to be kind of like what the the Adam and Eve was feeling right after the fall there was no one around to help them what are they going to do if you have your Bibles please turn to Genesis chapter 3 it had to be a little what they felt uh, this is the last message in our series beginnings we've been going through the first three chapters of the book of uh, Genesis hopefully you've enjoyed this but this will be the last message we actually looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago uh, I, I kind of flew over it you know didn't really land the plane or anything like that we talked a little bit about it you know talked, but but never landed the plane and I want to do that today today we're going to conclude the series with just this one verse Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and let me give you a little bit of context behind it. You've been hearing it for the last several weeks, but I'd like to help you to stay in the context of it so you understand what's going on so later on you can explain it to others too, what was happening in the passage. God had created a perfect world, right? He created a perfect world, and he placed man and woman in that perfect world, and everything was good. And he says everything was real good, right? That's what God said. And God gave them one command. He says you can eat from any tree in the garden, any tree in the garden you can eat from except that one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You may not eat of that tree because if you eat of that tree, you should be able to say it, you will surely die, right? And the wicked one comes along and he, and he says to, said to them, did God really say that? Did he really say that to you? He said that because he doesn't want you to be like God. 
because he knows if you eat from that tree, you're going to be like God, knowing good from evil. And Eve was deceived, and Adam as well, so they disobeyed and they ate from the fruit. So God came to them, like he presumably did every other day in the cool of the day, the Bible says, he came to them. Imagine that. Prior to that, prior to the, to the fall, the opportunity of communion with God. Can you imagine that? Of their hearing God, the Bible talks about that God, they would hear the steps of God walking in the garden. They didn't see him, they would hear the steps of God walking. Can you imagine the excitement and anticipation of God coming to talk with you? Can you imagine if that was you? To realize the one who created the universe, the one who created you in his image is coming to talk with you. That you and him would walk along in the garden and talk together like friends would do. But now everything has changed. This day was different. Hey, God said, where are you, Adam? And Adam was hiding now. And God asked a series of questions. Where are you, Adam? Who told you that were you naked? Did you eat from the fruit? And all kinds of excuses came, right? And then God went to Eve and asked her some, some question. And Eve gave all kinds of excuses. Blame shifting is what we're doing. And all those excuses, they, came, they couldn't change what happened that day. But everything changed that day. God said, because of this, a curse or judgment was going to come upon the serpent, remember? He was going to crawl in the belly for the rest of his days, for generations to come. And then there was a curse or judgment was going to be on Satan, and then Eve, and finally Adam. And we go on in the text. But can you imagine the contrast that was happening there? That between that day before and that day of sin, despair, now everything is turned upside down with no hope. There's no hope. What are they going to do? But what is going to change all that is what we're going to find in this passage we're going to look at this morning. When there's no hope, there's all despair, what's going to change all that? God is going to include a little verse here that I think is the first Christmas card ever that's been written in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And you read it, we've read it before, but we want to focus on this verse because I think it allows us to see how God has given victory, where the victory really lies. And God gave almost a Christmas card. It's kind of save the date card that God gave to them in the darkest day of human history that God is giving right here. And so have you found Genesis chapter 3 yet? You have it? Genesis chapter 3, it's kind of easy to find. It's at the beginning of your Bible. Let's learn here how we can experience the victory uh, of, of Jesus. This is critical. What I want to accomplish this morning is for, and when we leave here in a few minutes, that you will understand this verse and be able to explain it, okay? And hopefully I'm successful in doing that. That you will understand it and be able to explain it to others, what it actually means. So let's read the verse, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The first thing we want to know, that understand we are in a conflict, right? We are in a conflict. Let's look at the verse. It says, let's go back to it, and I will put enmity. Who is the I? The I is God. God, God is the one talking here. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Who is the you? The you is talking in the previous verse. He's talking to the servant. But we know this is not about snakes, right? You understand this passage is not about snakes. It's about the one behind the snake. Who's the one behind the snakes? The wicked one. It's Satan. So God is talking to Satan, is what we see here. He's talking to Satan. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Uh, the woman is referring to all mankind. Every person born of a woman fits into that category he's talking to. And you think to yourself, why would God do that? He knew what was going to happen. When he created Lucifer as an angel of light, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, you have the details. Why would God allow that to happen? Why wouldn't God step in and say, no, you can't do that. I'm not going to allow you to do that. Then all human history would have been different, right? 
But God didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? You ever ask that question? Why didn't God do that? Some would say God has given both the angelic world and mankind the ability to choose, the freedom to choose, the free choice to choose, and God wasn't going to step in and take that away from us. While that may be an explanation, that's kind of less than satisfying, isn't it? Does that make you feel all right now to think about that? God allowed it all to fall down, and he says, well, you've got that choice, I'm going to let you choose. Lucifer is a created angel, uh, an angel of light, the Bible said. The Bible says he wanted to be as God. He presumably had a lot of responsibility when you read Isaiah chapter 14 and uh, Ezekiel 28, when you read those passages, but he wanted to be as, as God is what he wanted to be. He looked at God and said, I want to be like you. I want to be you. And so he, so he led this rebellion, this insurrection of the created angels that would become against God and cause this rebellion. They wanted to overthrow God. Imagine that. We had angels in heaven, and, and Satan wanted to overthrow God. There was a battle that was going on in heaven. And the Bible says as a result of, of that, that, God can't, that Satan was cast out of heaven. And all those angels that followed Satan was cast out of, out of heaven. We find out in Revelation chapter 12, it was one-third of all the angels were cast out of heaven that followed him. They caused this insurrection. They were cast out. And these fallen angels is what we call them today, is what? Demons, right? That these demons were cast out. And, and, and Peter in the New Testament, as well as Jude, tells us, reminds us, that some of them are reserved right now for everlasting darkness. All of them one day will go to everlasting darkness, right? But there are a number of them that have the opportunity to circulate today, to cause havoc, and do the work of their father, Satan, the devil. But now let's focus on, on a moment for the next word. It's a really important word. I will put enmity. Enmity is a very, very strong word. The original word is stronger than, than is translated here. Uh, the word really means hostility. The word is used in two different ways in the Old Testament in the original language. One of them, when nations would become so angry with each other, they would have this hostility that they wanted to kill each other so they would go to war. That's one of the ways it's used. The other way it's used, when a man hated another person so badly that they wanted to murder the person. That's the way it's used. So, so same, same word we find here in Genesis 3.15. So there's this enmity. This hostility is not a labor dispute. This hostility is not a peace accord. This is a huge, huge deal, hostility, right? And, and, and it's the beginning of the longest lasting war in human history because it involves almost all of human history, right? This conflict that we say, we're, we're in hostility is what the Bible says. And it wants us to understand that you and I are in hostility. It started in Genesis chapter 3, way back there, a long time ago. And we don't know if it was days or weeks or months from the time that God created Adam and Eve until the fall. But from the time of the fall, that it's going to last till Jesus comes back again and brings peace and righteousness, right? We're in this hostility. So we're still in this hostility today. We're still waiting for Jesus to come back and bring that peace and righteousness, right? So that hostility is right here with us today. And my question is, do you know you're in a battle? Do you understand you're in a spiritual battle? Every one of us is in a spiritual battle. And sometimes we can make mistakes and think and identifying other people as the enemy. You ever do that? Other people, they're my enemy. And right now we're right in the midst of election, midterm elections happening not this Tuesday, the Tuesday after next. And sometimes if we're a Republican, we can say the Democrat's the enemy. And if you're a Democrat, you say the Republican's the enemy, right? And sometimes you can look and you say, well, as you get older, you kind of say, you know, it's all those young people's fault. They're the ones that making all the problems, so they're the enemy. And the young people can look and say, no, it's those old people. They're the ones that's making the enemy. So we're all kinds of 
causing each other's enemies, and they see these divisions drawn among us, right? And we have to realize that we're not the enemies. People are not your enemies. They're not your enemies. And what we really have, we have, we have to look at each other as either we're followers of Christ or those who are not followers of Jesus Christ yet, right? Those are the two categories, people who are followers of Jesus and those who are not followers yet is what we have. But behind the scenes, we have an enemy. Who's the enemy? The wicked one, Satan. That's the enemy. That's the true enemy we have. And those fallen uh, angels, those demons, that's the enemy. Now, the Bible talks about the offspring, the offspring of the woman. Uh, that's every human being born into this world from a woman. It's all the generations, all of us is what it's talking about. The wicked one and his offspring would be, of course, Satan. Those angels that fell with him, that would be demons with him. But according also to Jesus in John chapter 8, it's all those individuals who are following the wicked one who have rejected Jesus, okay? So we have two categories, and I want you to make sure you understand that. And it's kind of hard to grasp because the two categories are people who don't know Jesus yet. They, they would, be, would not be followers of Jesus yet. That would be one category. They may be good people. They may be kind people. They may be moral people. But if they don't know Jesus yet, they fit in that category of following the wicked one. We don't like that. We don't like to hear about that, but it is. The other category is those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. They follow Christ. So there's only two categories. One who followed Jesus, who have put their faith. And the other category is those who follow the wicked one. They may not want to say they do, but that's the only two categories. There's no one straddling the fence. You're either in the one category if you followed Christ. If you have Christ, you're in that category. If you don't have Christ, if you have put your faith in Christ, then you're in the, the other category, following the wicked one. We, we don't like that. No one likes that. But those people who don't know Jesus, they are not the enemy. They are not the enemy. Listen, you will never be able to reach your enemy for Christ if you call them an enemy. You might possibly reach a friend for Christ, right? You can do that. We can possibly reach our friends. So we have to be their, our, our friends. They have to be our friends. We're going to reach them. And that's the step number one. We realize those people that don't know Jesus, they are not our enemies. They are our friends. They have to be our friends if we have a chance to reach them, right? They have to be our friends. So none of the people you see out there that cause them, what you say, all these things, they're not our enemies. The one behind them is the enemy. He's the one behind them. That's the one's doing it. We're in a conflict. But our conflict isn't with other people. It's not with people. Our enemy is not the addiction. Our enemy is not the neighbor. Our enemy is the wicked one. It's Satan. Amen? We know that, right? That's our enemy. And Ephesians 6.12 tells us that. It says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. We will never win the battle if we don't think we're in one. If you don't think you're in a battle, you're never going to win the battle. We're in a battle. It's no small conflict. It's a major hostility is what the Bible says that we're in. And I want you to see, secondly, a wonderful promise that God gives for us. Number two, remember, Satan's defeat is sure. Satan's defeat is sure. Uh, let's look at the verse in verse 15. It says, in between your offspring and hers, your offspring is, is Satan's offspring. Your offspring referring to Satan's, which is demon. And the people of humanity are working toward the cause of Satan. And hers, meaning her offspring, her offspring is Eve. It's all of humanity it's talking about. So there's this constant hostility. It's more than just women being afraid of snakes. It's not the snakes. It's this hostility between mankind and the forces of evil, between mankind and Satan, what it's talking about. Is it possible that we made a peace treaty with evil? 
Is it possible that we've done that? That we think there's not a conflict anymore. And sometimes we don't think. We think there's not a conflict anymore, but there is. It's not a conflict you can see. It's a spiritual conflict. Let me give you an illustration. That maybe if you watch TV, most people do have some form of TV. You watch TV and there's a program that you're watching TV. Maybe it's just a commercial or a sitcom or some program you're watching. And something really bad comes on that program. And if it was five or ten years ago, you would have changed that channel. You would have turned off the TV. But now you don't. And we lost sight that we were in a conflict with hostility today. That we kind of made this peace agreement with itself with evil and us to coexist together. That we kind of said, it's okay. I can coexist with evil, and, and we can get along, and, and it'll be all right. We can go side by side, and, and we can watch those things and do those things and side by side. Is it possible? What God is saying, no, we're in this hostility, this battle between good and evil, between God and Satan. There's a battle going on that's raging all around us, guys. There's a battle with us. Satan wants you and I to to walk away from God, doubt God, compromise God. Anything he can do to get us off the battlefield, to serving God, to walking with God. He's doing whatever he can. You may not realize it. He's doing it with your children. We have to be aware of that. Yet in this passage includes that God gives to everybody on the darkest day of human history, that this is the Christmas card. In verse 15, he says, he will crush his head, that he's going to crush your head is what it says. Uh, we know the you. He's still talking to Satan here. So he's saying that God is going to crush his head. The wicked one, it, the head's going to be crushed, right? But it says, who is the he? He goes to the offspring. Someone said the right answer. goes to the offspring. Even the Masoretic scholars, the Greek scholars, who translated the Old Testament, Hebrew Old Testament to the Greek, uh, Greek language, the Septuagint, they had no loyalty to Jesus. They had no loyalty to the cross or anything like that. They looked at this, and they said, hey, this had to be somebody who's human, who's from the offspring of a woman, who's going to be so powerful that's going to be able to stop and crush the head of the wicked one, crush the head of Satan in the darkest day of human history. They even admit it has to be a human being that's going to do this. So God says in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will call him what? Emmanuel, God with us. We know that to be Jesus, right? And in Genesis 3.15, those Masoretes who translated it said, it's got to be a human being. Adam and Eve didn't know who this was going to be. And we know as that human, it had to come from mankind, had to come from the offspring of woman. We know that. But it also had to come from God. They had to be fully God, right? And there's only one that's qualified for that. There's only one. There's not two. There's not three. There's only one that fits that bill, and it is Jesus. There's only one that could represent God and mankind. The only one that can do that is the one that came from heaven, right? That is Jesus, 100% God. But he also had to represent humanity. So he had to become a human being to represent us. So he represents God to represent us. The only one who could do that is Jesus. And when Jesus came, it not only fulfilled prophecy for us, but it, it gave a wonderful promise that that conflict that caused so much despair and that mankind couldn't do anything about that conflict, that there was going to be one that's going to resolve it, and it was going to come from the seed of a woman, from the offspring of a woman. That's the Christmas card. That's the save the date, that there's one coming that's going to resolve all this despair. They're going to resolve it all. That's that Christmas card that God was writing way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That's the save the date. We have seen it all through Jesus' life when he was here on this earth. There was conflict. They talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Even when he was born, when he was born, and Herod said, we've got to find all those babies that are two years old and younger in that whole region. We've got to put them to death. 
Was that because Herod felt threatened? Was that because Herod thought, man, someone's going to threaten my, me as a ruler and, and wants to be king? No, the Bible says it was much more than that. And when we read the book of Revelation, we, behind Herod's difficulty, he wanted to kill Jesus, was Satan at work. Satan was at work doing that. He wanted that to happen. And then just before Jesus began his public ministry, in Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says, he was driven by the Holy Spirit into the desert. And there, those three temptations came with great power and great strength by Satan to come at Jesus. And Jesus said no in each one of those times, right? And we ought to be thankful. Those temptations were huge. And we sometimes, we don't realize it. Because if Jesus would have said yes to any of those, he couldn't have crushed the head of Satan. He couldn't have done that. And he could not have died as a substitute for our sins, as a sacrificial lamb. And he couldn't bring us victory. But Jesus didn't give in. And he said no to each one of those temptations. And we said, amen, amen. And as incident after incident, as we see this in the Bible, in the, in the Gospels, when Jesus was walking, even in one case, the demon-possessed man on the eastern side of the Jordan River, that this man was so demon-possessed that he ran around naked and he was cutting himself and he was shouting and he was screaming at everyone. And everyone was running for their lives from him. They were so scared of this man and they'd run from him. And power ran into power. This demon-possessed man and Jesus ran into each other. And as Jesus, the Son of God, came to this man, the man wasn't the enemy, right? The one behind him was the enemy. The wicked one, Satan, was the enemy. And Jesus cast out those demons and gave that man healing and freedom and life right at that time. And what we see here, those are just save-the-date reminders that this Jesus was going to save the world. And every time you see that in the Gospels, it was save-the-date reminders that this Jesus, this one, is going to save the world. He's different from all others. Remind us time after time. We see Jesus came into power against power against evil against the enemy, against Satan. And Jesus always won, didn't he? This is the one that's going to save the world. This is the one. Save the date. This is the one to remind us each and every time. And then when Jesus went to the cross, when you read that, he says, he, Jesus, will crush his head. Jesus will crush the head of Satan, is what the Bible says. But on the cross, doesn't it look like the opposite is happening? Doesn't it look like Satan is crushing Jesus' head? Doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. When you look at the cross, you kind of say, boy, that doesn't look like what's happened there. But it says at the end of verse 15, and you will strike his heel. It mean, meaning Satan will strike his heel. That the his is Jesus. That Satan will strike Jesus' heel. In other words, it would be crippling, but not fatal. When you look at the cross, what is happening? All that conflict that was coming together in Genesis 3.15 is kind of part, partially fulfilled. When Jesus came as a baby, the Bible says, born of a woman, made under the law. But the crushing of the head of Satan happened at the cross. When Jesus crushed the head of the wicked one, his heel was bruised, the Bible says. His heel was bruised. And the bruising of the heel, I think, involved the suffering. Some people would say, the, they say that when Jesus was carrying that cross on his back, remember, and the cross was dragging on the ground, and each time he'd walk, it hit his heel and bruised his heel. Some people say that. Some people say when they put his two feet together and they drove that stake in his feet that bruised his heel. It could be all that. All that includes in the suffering. But when Jesus is suspended on a cross, let's be honest. You think Satan has won. Jesus is defeated. Look at him. Look at him. He's, died, he's dying on the cross. Satan's won. And it forces us to ask the bigger question, who put Jesus on the cross? The age-old answer comes back to this, who put him on the cross? Well, it had to be the Romans did it. They're the ones that put him on the cross. No, it had to be the Jews. No, it had to be us. No, it had to be Satan. No, it had to be our sin. While all those answers are true, ultimately, it was God who placed Jesus on the cross, right? 
And Isaiah 53 tells us that. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. But then Isaiah 53 10 says this, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. It was God. It was God that put Jesus on the cross. That was his plan. That was his will for Jesus to come to this earth. That was the purpose of Jesus coming. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Don't look at Jesus as the victim. Look at Jesus as the substitute. He went there willingly for you and I. He went there because he wanted to go. To take all of our sins upon himself, right? To die for all of our sins. And in doing so, he crushed the head of Satan. He crushed the head of Satan. And it's over. It's over. Satan's over. It's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. When Jesus died on that cross, that, that death on the cross that day, Jesus, uh, sin, Satan, and death itself were all defeated at that time. Jesus was victorious over all that, right? At that time, they were defeated. Just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. Their judgment is already there. It's just a matter of time, right? And we say amen to that because Jesus defeated him. He's already defeated foe. His time is limited. We know that. Let me kind of summarize this. Well, add one more thing. Just got another fill in the blank, right? Add one more thing. Let me summarize, but I want you to make sure you get these points. First thing is, is to experience the victory uh, that God has for us. We have to recognize we're in a conflict. We're in hostility, guys. Don't, don't underestimate that what we're in. Always be on your guard. Always be on your guard for that. Let's not make a peace agreement with evil. Let's live for righteousness. That's what we're called to live. Number two, the wicked one is already lost. Realize that. His head has already been crushed. The final judgment's going to come one day. It's just a matter of time. But it's already going to happen, right? He's lost. His head's crushed. He's defeated. He's defeated. Jesus defeated him. It's already been won. The battle's been won, right? The third thing, in order to experience the victory, let's live today in the victory of the cross. Let's live in that victory of the cross today. Let's live in it. That whatever our enemy is, whatever you might claim your enemy, behind that enemy is the wicked one. It's Satan. It's behind the limit. So let's live in the victory. Now, I love watching sport teams win championships. I don't know if you do, and I, I love watching them. Maybe it's the Super Bowl. Maybe it's the Stanley Cup. Maybe it's the World Series, which is going on right now. Uh, maybe it's basketball. But when they do, it's, it's always fun to watch. Uh, the winning team, as they have the big parade, you see the parade, and they come into the city, and they're on the float. The winning team's on the float, and they come into the city, and the mayor's there. And there may be a million or more people, right? And the fans are all there holding up their, their big cards saying, we're the champions. We won. We're victorious. And they're all excited, and they're so thankful for everything that has happened, and they're so thankful for all of it. And yet not one of them, one of those people that's not on that float, ever shot a basket, ever swung at a baseball, right? Not one of them have, but they claim the victory. And yet they are all claiming the victory for what 20 other people did. It's amazing to watch that. But so do we. We are victorious because we have a champion who died for our sins upon the cross. We have a champion, right? We have a champion. And his name is Jesus. We have a champion. That means we stop trying to impress God. We don't try to impress God. We have to come to him by faith, right? 
And if you don't know Jesus yet, maybe you're here and you say, well, I've got to get my life together, and I've got to try to do things. That is not any good. You can't add to what he's already done, right? The Bible said that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he paid for your sins in full. What you have to do is just come and accept what he's done. And understand that he fought the battle that you might have the victory. But you have to accept that free gift. You say, well, how do I do that? You pray and accept that free gift of Jesus by faith. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a certainty that the Bible gives us. But the calling on the name of the Lord is just not acknowledging his existence, that he exists. It's believing with our entire being and saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God, and that he died on the cross. And that dying on the cross that he paid for my sins. And today, I put my faith and my trust in that free gift of salvation by faith, right, of Jesus. And the Bible says that when you do that, you're saved. You become a child of God, and your eternity will be in heaven. And I encourage you to pray that prayer. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, if you've never prayed that. And this is the most important thing you can do. You can be wrong on a lot of things, but you don't want to be wrong on this one. You can be wrong about the Bears game today, and you can say they're going to win and by a certain score. And if you're wrong about that, which you probably will be, it's no big deal, right? <laughs> but you don't want to be wrong about this one, right? Because this is about eternity. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you haven't done that, please do that. If you have questions about that, please see me, talk to me after that, because this is about eternity. That one you want to get really right. You don't want to mess with that one. You want to make sure I understand who Jesus is, right? You want to do that one. For all of us who know Jesus, let's live in the victory that he's provided on the cross. We're to live in victory, not in defeat. Jesus was victorious. We have a champion who won it for us. We should be shouting, we are the champion. We are victorious because I follow Jesus. Let's not sign a peace agreement with sin and evil. Let's not do it, but let's live for him. Let's live for Jesus, right? Let's live for him alone, for Christ alone. And let's lift him up and say, I am a Christ follower, and I'm going to live for Jesus, and I'm not going to make any compromises. I'm not going to apologize for living for Jesus. Amen? Let's live for him. Let's pray. Lord, you come and we praise you. God of wonders, God of majesty, Lord, you're so holy and we're so thankful, Lord, that we look at Genesis chapter 3, and Lord, the fall, and it looks like gloom and despair, and, and Lord, it's all downhill from there. But Lord, you had a plan before the beginning of the creation of this world, before you created any of us. You had a plan way back then, and you are going to send your son to die on the cross for us, and he was going to defeat the enemy who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. They fell continues to tempt us today, and you were victorious. You defeated him. You defeated death, sin, the grave, and the enemy itself, uh, Satan. And so, Lord, today, if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we stand victorious in the victory because of our champion. He won. He won the battle. It's already been done. Satan's head is crushed. He's defeated. It's just a matter of time before he's sentenced to eternity forever in the lake of fire. So, Lord, we come, and we're so thankful that we serve the champion, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus, you are our hero, the one who fought the battle, so that we can claim the victory. And we're so thankful to you. We're so thankful all that you did for us, that it's by grace, Lord, that we're saved. And we did nothing for it, but we give you all the fame and the glory and the honor and the praise because you did it all for us. And we're so thankful. 
For, Lord, we did not deserve this. We didn't deserve any of your grace or your mercy or your love. We definitely didn't deserve Jesus to die for us. But you did it because you love us, because you abound in grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And, you, Lord, you love us so much. And we're so thankful. I pray for anyone here that may not know Jesus, may not put their faith and trust in Jesus yet. Today, Lord, today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, convict them of their sin, their need of a Savior. They might put their, their faith and trust in Jesus. I pray for them. All they simply have to do is say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today, I accept him as my Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to do that today. For all of us who know you, Lord, help us to live victorious lives. Help us to live in the victory that Jesus has provided for us at the cross. We are victorious. We have a champion. Let us live like that. Let us live as the champions. Let us live in that victory. Let us live for righteousness. Let us not compromise. Let us not coexist with the evil and stuff out there. Let's rise above all that muck and mire and say, no, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. Help us, Lord, that, that we might be able to shine that light of Jesus in and through our lives so we might be able to reach others in our workplaces in our neighborhood, in our communities, in our schools, wherever we may go, in our shopping areas, wherever we may go. Lord, the holidays are coming up, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas soon. And Lord, we might have all kinds of opportunities. Lord, let the light of she, uh, Jesus shine through us and to other people. Lord, help us to be the people you called us to. For Lord, we promise, no matter what we do, we will give you all the claim, all the fame, all the glory, all the praise. We can only do it through your power. We praise you and thank you so much for providing the victory for us, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.